Hey guys, how is everyone doing? Welcome to another episode of the Footprints Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Winoto, and I'm so grateful that you guys are tuning in for this episode because I've got a great friend of mine from New Zealand, Revo Halim, on the show. Revo is an aspiring young chef who just recently graduated from culinary school, but has actually been in the spotlight since a very young age. Having participated in Junior MasterChef Indonesia, having his dishes featured in Jakarta's most fine restaurants, and having been endorsed by brands like Mari Regal, Revo is almost 10 years in his culinary journey. But to him, his journey has just barely begun. Hard work, determination, and having a thick skin are some values that Revo believes in, and I can't wait to see him become the next Gordon Ramsay, minus all the idiot sandwich comments. So without further ado, let's just jump right into today's episode of the Footprints Podcast. This is the Footprints Podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Footprints Podcast where we will explore the footprints of today's heroes and tomorrow's leaders. Revo, welcome to the show, man. All the way from New Zealand. How are you doing today, bro? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm excited. I've been, you know, uh, I've been listening to clips of your podcasts like through Instagram and stuff. And I think it's uh, it's pretty awesome what you're doing. And so I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much, bro. And yeah, how's life in New Zealand these days? I've seen you in social media and everything. You've been shredding the guitar a lot, obviously. <laughs> um, congratulations also for graduating from uh, Le Cordon Bleu. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I think. But yeah, how's life these days in New Zealand? So life in New Zealand's pretty much back to normal, you know, despite the COVID situation. I think I'm very lucky to be in New Zealand where the backlash isn't as um, isn't as prevalent here. Um, so I guess, yeah, like life is a little bit back to normal. And now I'm just trying to gain experience and everything uh, in the culinary world. Hopefully... Uh, soon enough, I'll be able to get employed in a in a good place where I'll you know where I'll be able to learn even more and you know uh, become a better chef in general, but um, also a better person in general as well. Right, right, right. I really agree with you. I mean, New Zealand. I think the way they've handled coronavirus, it's just you know profound. What they're doing is really amazing. Obviously, right now here in Indonesia, cases are still racking up day by day, but it's great that New Zealand has not only flattened the curve, but people say like crushed the curve. It's really, yeah, you're really yeah. fortunate there. It, I think, mm-hmm. um, like, recently, if there are any cases, uh, it'd be, like, less than 10 or something like that, you know. And everything is wow. contained. Uh, so, yeah, we're we're pretty lucky. Even though, you know, like, our neighbor Australia is currently struggling with it again. We're very lucky um, in New Zealand that people are actually, they're willing to be isolated for a while because they know, uh, what's better for the future? Um, mm-hmm. Because if currently it might be uncomfortable to stay at home, um, but if you don't do that, then the curve keeps you know going higher and higher, and then it'll never end. Yep. So you might as well nip it at the bud. And I think that's what uh, New Zealand did great in terms of like handling the COVID situation. It's pretty awesome, honestly. For sure, for sure. I wouldn't disagree with what you're saying there. And um, yeah, so great to have you on the show, Revo is a chef that's about to uh, enter the culinary industry 
and he has actually uh, been exposed to the culinary world and cooking from a very young age. So I'd let you talk a little bit more about that. So maybe if you can talk a little bit about your culinary journey, what drew you in into cooking from a young age, and where you stand right now in this <laughs> um, journey to reach your culinary dreams. Yeah. So, well, contrary to my Instagram profile name, uh, <laughs> I don't consider myself a chef yet. Um, I think I'm still far off from being, uh, you know, from being comfortable uh, when called a chef. I think when you're a chef, uh, you really have to have a grasp of everything that's, you know, that's going on in the kitchen uh, or just going on in the restaurant in general, being able to create menus, being able to design kitchens. When I reach that level, then I would probably call myself a chef. But yeah, anyways, so currently I'm in New Zealand. I have recently graduated from Le Cordon Bleu, New Zealand. I was exposed to the culinary world in quite a young age. I, I feel very fortunate to, you know, uh, to be exposed to this world like at a very young age because it's just, I think, uh, and not in an arrogant way, I think it gives me quite a bit of an advantage in terms of being able to grasp things quickly because basically the kitchen has built my mind. And, you know, certain things that people would miss or certain things that people wouldn't consider important because I was exposed to kitchen life and uh, the culinary world quite early. I can discern what's important and what's not. Well, obviously, I'm still learning a lot. Um, but I think uh, being exposed to, you know, to the industry very young, uh, it definitely has contributed a lot to who I am today and um, how well I'm able to survive in this industry. Because it's the restaurant industry, as we all know, is pretty cutthroat. And you really right. need to be um, on top of your game in order to survive. But well, not only to survive, but to thrive as well. I think it's very, very important that you're uh, always on your toes. You're always ready uh, whenever an opportunity, uh, you know, comes at you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think I was exposed to cooking when I was around eight. I was just playing around in the kitchen because I was really, really bored. And uh, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't concentrate in anything. But somehow when I entered the kitchen, uh, I was like, very, very calm. And one day... Uh, I wanted to bake something, and so uh, I told my mom, I was like, Mom, I want to buy, a, like, can we buy an oven or something? And then she was like, nah, it's probably just a phase, you know, so that, like, it's probably not important right now. It's just a phase right now. It's just going to go away. He won't be interested in cooking anymore. And then the next day, I decided to borrow my neighbor's oven, and at that point, my mom wow. was like, oh, no, uh, okay, this I got to buy interested. an oven for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, once that oven came into the house, we were like, okay. So I started, like, baking a lot, you know, bringing treats to my friends at school to my teachers at school you know just for fun mm -hmm. and you know because i'm bored because there's not much gotcha. you can do when you're like 10 years old aside from sleep eat and do homework you know that's right and somehow i was featured in the harper's bazaar uh magazine like basically like for the kids section and then masterchef happened and maria regal and stuff like that when i created recipes using their products uh, that was a really, really great experience. And now I'm in New Zealand, uh, just graduated and very, very happy. <laughs> wow. It seems like what you've been doing in the culinary world from such a young age is very impressive. And it seems like what you're saying are all incredible achievements. Uh, junior MasterChef also. Probably like for the audience to know, um, just very briefly, how was the experience in Junior MasterChef? And as you said, the culinary industry is getting cutthroat, it's getting competitive, especially like from what I've seen in social media, especially during this pandemic, like 
people, even a lot of my friends, are suddenly turning into chefs. Like they started creating <laughs> cooking accounts, yeah. they started creating baking accounts, and all that thing. But yeah, you've been into competition, I think, since you were like very young in Junior Master Chef, right? Probably yeah. can talk a little bit about that experience. I think it was great, you know. Um, it introduced uh, the basics of cooking to me. Uh, you know, prior to Junior Master Chef, we kids really, really didn't know how to cook properly. You know, we didn't know how to be neat whenever we're working. And but most of all, I think what Junior Master Chef gave to me was the ability to work under pressure when cameras are right. rolling and when the judges are taunting you and your 11-year-old self is just there trying to cook your best within the time limit and then the chef comes to you hey you know if you don't get this right you're going to go home right i think that's wow. i think that sort of mentality that's been you know drilled into us i think that's what's great about junior master chef you know some people might argue that it's not it's not healthy <laughs> uh, for kids mm-hmm. to be exposed to something like that but if you're going to go into the culinary industry if you don't have a strong mind more so than a strong physical body, like you have to have a thick skin basically in order to survive yep. in this world. Cause it's like, dang, there's a lot of banter going on. You know, people will make fun of you um, all in good spirit, but sometimes people usually do that with malicious intent as well. And during junior master chef, obviously I'm not going to mention anything, but like um, the parents were way more competitive than the kids. So mm-hmm. us kids, we were just cooking, we were just having fun, but there were a lot of beef between some parents and some parents a lot of behind the scenes. Thing. Yeah, a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Right, right, right. I didn't expect that to happen. I mean, wow. I thought it was just like you know all healthy competition and everything, but um, yeah. What I'm trying to say is that it's really good to be um, exposed to that kind of pressure, to that kind of like training in order to get thick skin from a young age. Obviously, yeah. the MasterChef judges when you're like in junior MasterChef, I don't think they're as harsh as the normal MasterChef ones. Yeah. Right? I've seen that. And dude, it's brutal. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, as what you said, it's a really good way to train yourself to get thick skin. I'm really interested in your profile that uh, you've wanted to be a chef from a young age. And having this passion to become a chef from eight years old, nine years old. I think it requires a lot of dedication and motivation to like stay in this path and uh, be determined to be pushing for your culinary dreams. Um, my question for you is what drives you to stay in this path, um, especially in these unsure times? Uh, probably you're now 17, 18 years old and with the culinary world, the culinary field still trying to adapt, still like shifting very quickly, especially with this pandemic and all. What drives you to stay in this path? I think ever since I was young and like even now, I think what scares me the most or uh, what really, you know, what I really dislike is getting bored with something. And the thing is, in this world, especially right now with the pandemic going on, things are never boring. You have to adapt to everything. Mm -hmm. So the reason why probably, you know, like ever since I was a young kid, I've never sort of wondered whether, like I've never doubted myself whether or not I want to be a chef. I've always wanted to be uh, like a chef. And I think, firstly, that just comes from my love of food in general. Like, I love food. Um, And the thing is, it's always going to be a necessity. I don't think there will be a time that we are living right now on this earth where people won't need food, right? It's always going to be necessary. And Mm -hmm. within that necessity, there's a lot of creativity that can be found within it, you know? And the most basic form of food is just a form of nourishment, right? But the thing Mm -hmm. is, 
once you start to explore out of that, once you start going outside of your comfort zone, that's when you start to understand that food can be so much more. It can be, it can bring people together. You know, there's a lot of creativity uh, in food. And I personally enjoy art. You know, I, I play the guitar a little bit. Um, and cooking for me is also a form of art. Uh, where you can express yourself, and honestly, ever since ever since back then, all I wanted to do was just make people smile using my food, and that you know, making people happy with my food is what drives me, uh, you know, every day to cook for people and learning, exploring, and becoming good at something. You know, let's use this analogy. It's like, for example, like a Rubik's cube, right? I can't really play Rubik's cube, or maybe let's use even like the guitar. At first, it's like sure, really, really difficult. You can't even, you, mm-hmm. you know, you can't even play the D chord. You can't even play the C chord. But once you start understanding the instrument even more, once you start playing even more, once you start immersing yourself in that world where there's nothing but you and the guitar, or in my case, me and food right now, when you start to get good at it, you become really, really happy. And obviously you want to get better at it. Yep. And that's what really, really motivates me. And it really helps as well having a lot of competition out there, having a lot of young chefs, you know, inventing all of these crazy, crazy things and i'm very competitive and like i don't want to lose so whenever i get complacent and stuff like that you know i sort of have to remind myself that if i don't keep running then i'm never going to be the best uh and the goal is you know i want to be the best in what i do so that sort of motivates me and just keeps me keeps me running (laughs) keeps me running this marathon gotcha gotcha and i think that is very mature and such a like how old are you now? 17, 18 years old? 17, yeah. Yeah, 17 years old and already having this vision, uh, this drive to be able to get the best of what you're doing. And then um, I really would like what you said about art and creativity also. In the end, it's art, right? And when it's just you and the kitchen or you and all these um, kitchen utensils and all these ingredients, that's when you try your best to make people smile and spread positive vibes to your cooking, which I really, um, which I really appreciate. And speaking yeah. of goals, speaking of um, what you're trying to chase for in terms of your culinary career, yeah, what goals are you actually chasing, uh, be it in the short term as well as in the long term for yourself? I mean, in the short term, I'm just like trying to learn as much as possible and, you know, um, try to find a job in a really, really good place where, you know, where obviously I can learn and progress as a chef. Um, but my long term goal is uh, to be the best in the industry, you know. Um, I want my restaurant in the future to be um, the best restaurant in the world and obviously Mm -hmm. I think it's quite generic now like as a goal but obviously three Michelin stars is something that's pretty something that we all strive for that's true that's I think with you and with your determination you're going to be able to achieve it in the future I'll be rooting for you man thank you Uh, (laughs) yeah obviously it's gonna be a hit um but anyway, I also want to um, touch a little bit on what you said about how the industry is very competitive and very cutthroat. Um, what do you think will it take for you, um, especially when you decide to start a new restaurant later, to build your brand amidst a lot of competition? Because, you know, as you said, just starting out and maybe starting from zero, starting a new restaurant and everything, um, it's not going to be easy, right? Starting a new brand right from like nothing. But yeah. what do you think it will take to be able to build a brand that sells, that's going to be able to have a good impact in the industry? I think that um, more and more these days, um, the industry is very cutthroat, but at the same time, you should try your best to not make any enemies. 
uh, in the industry. Or rather, you should be friends with everyone. I mean, like, if you, like, especially these days, um, if I were to have a restaurant right now, uh, I would want other people to say good things about my restaurant. For example, like other chefs. Because, it, like, if you haven't noticed, there's a huge community of chefs, like, on social media, right? And we all sort of support uh, one another. And mm-hmm. I think that by building good network and by building good relationships with people within the industry, it can do no harm for you. And it'll definitely yes. help lift your business's reputation. Because, for example, you know, if you eat in a restaurant, right? And then after that, like, the chef comes out or something like that. And then, like, you talk to the chef and say, like, oh, you know, I just came to the city or something. And uh, I really want to explore all the good places. And if you're friends with that chef, that chef might as well, you know, will probably mention your restaurant. Right. Mm-hmm. On a less sort of informal aspect, uh, talking about this in a more sort of business-minded uh, way, um, sure. I think what's really important, especially uh, within this pandemic, is building something unique that people can't make at home. Wow. If you're going to make something, you better make sure that it's really difficult or really laborious uh, for people to make at home. Because if you go out for a regular steak, right? For example, just like a fresh steak, people can Mm -hmm. make that at home pretty easily. But if you serve them a dry-aged steak, that's minimum 30 days to 200 days of dedication of taking care of that piece of meat until it's ripe enough for you to serve the customers. And I'm not sure whether or not a lot of people want to do that at home, much less they even have the equipment to do that. So things like charcuterie, which is like hams and, you know, like salamis, prosciuttos, uh, dry aged meat, uh, even like fresh pasta and stuff like that. Those are what I like to call like value added products that people can't make easily at home, you know, that people will have to go to your establishment to buy because it's unique to only your establishment. Uh, You can't find that anywhere else. And I think if I were to have a restaurant, you know, sometime in the future, well, it's not if, when I have a restaurant sometime in the future, um, mm-hmm. I really have to focus on value-added products. And I think these days, um, restaurants, in order to be successful, especially in, a, in, in such a volatile time like this, uh, we have to adapt really, really quickly. And we can't limit ourselves to just in-house dining. We have to, right. um, we have to create products that people can buy, but they can also bring it home, and then they do their own things to it. You know. Yes, yes, yes. I think what you're saying um, really resonates with me also because at the end of the day, if you're just going to make products that people can bring in home, then why do they have to come to your restaurant, right? Yeah, so exactly. Creating these um, value-added products, like you said, dry-aged steak, prosciutto. Um, all these different things. Definitely, you know more than me, but um, it'll make you still firm in the industry, and that's actually a really valuable opinion, I think. Um, speaking of like qualities, also, um, as a chef, uh, you've been in this industry probably nine, ten years now, but the journey has not ended for you. It has just barely begun. It's just starting. It's just the beginning. Um, what qualities do you think define a good chef? Be it from you or be it from other role models that you see um, in the culinary industry. I'm going to quote uh, a chef um, that I've talked to when I was young. Um, I think it's Chef David Thompson. Um, he basically said to me, like the three things that make a good chef, a sharp mind, a sharp knife, and a sharp palate. Mm-hmm. So 
you have to be sharp. You have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to understand that what you're putting out is a reflection of who you are and what the establishment is while being conscious of what you're doing to the environment as well. I think that's pretty important. And that sort of falls into the category of having a sharp mind, you know. Uh, you should be aware of all of these little things that will ultimately create a big impact to the customer. For example, it's like, I think the easiest thing is like, you can eat like bebek goreng, right? In like, in, in like a warung or something like that. And that's great and everything. And I love right. it. I personally love eating, you know, like wartak and stuff like that. It's, it's the best thing ever. But the thing is, uh, when you start to go above that, um, like once you start to delve in fine dining and things like that you start to realize that people enjoy food in a certain temperature people enjoy food when you play certain music and if people don't like the music that you're playing they might not enjoy the experience and you know they might not come back the food might be the best thing in the world but if they don't like the ambience the atmosphere then uh, it won't work so that's what's important about Mm -hmm. having a sharp mind and sharp knife i mean obviously we use knives every day we play with fire every day (laughs) um right and a sharp palate um, I think chefs these days we're starting to understand even more that everybody has a different palate. Yeah. So if a customer doesn't like our food, then we shouldn't like we shouldn't bash them or anything, you know. Because there's a fine line of doing what you want to do and doing what the people want, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you have to strike that fine balance where what you do pleases people, because ultimately the food industry is just uh, a medium to please people, right? We're we're here to provide our services in order for people to feel happy and to feel nourished and to feel cared for. Right. And by having a sharp palate, um, it really allows you to understand that, oh, maybe with this customer, you know, we should add, you know, less salt and stuff like that. And that sort of ultimately brings it down to um, how well you're able to perceive flavors. And you should also be aware of how these little things, you know, like if you add more salt, if you add a bit more pepper, but like this person doesn't really like pepper. so. We have to sort of hold off on that, you know. Ultimately, we're just trying to tailor our experience so that the guests enjoy what they're eating to the maximum potential. And having a sharp palate really, really helps a chef do that. Gotcha, gotcha. So sharp knife, sharp mind, and sharp palate. Yeah. Um, really agree with what you're saying here. Um, definitely, like what you said, the experience, uh, temperature, music, those are the little things that sometimes we don't really recognize, but they actually uh, play a big part in your um, dining experience, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of people are saying, what's the difference between like eating in restaurants? You can just like um, take away. You can just definitely, um, with how people are selling ingredients in Tokopedia and online and everything, it's like you can bring the dining experience to your home. But I always tell those people who say that, dude, it's not the same. Yeah, um, exactly. Dine in and taking away, it's it's a different experience. And that's what makes restaurants, um, you know, fine dining restaurants also um, top of the class, right? They can yeah. tailor that experience when you're eating. So that is really amazing at a very young age already thinking about these things. I, th- I think like you have to think about it, especially with, you know, everything that's going on these days. Like if you're ambitious and if you want to be successful, that's a necessity these days, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. And also sharp palate, like what you said. Um, at the end of the day, you can't please everybody, right? Um, yeah. You can't please everybody's taste buds. Everybody's taste buds is different. Um, finding ways to accommodate people's taste buds. Uh, some maybe uh, like more salty foods. Some maybe like more sweet. So I think that's something that you can consider too. But on the other hand, 
when people say, hey, I don't like your food. Hey, it doesn't seem like it's my taste. You're not actually a good chef. These kind of things probably you hear. Um, yeah, it gets to your ears often also, right? Um, maybe as much as the good comments, there will also be bad comments as well, right? Yeah. How do you respond to these um, challenges and negative comments in the culinary industry? I mean, if you have a negative comment, right, you have to ask them, so what do you think? Like, how can I make it better? You have to ask them as well, because like we're trying to provide them with the best experience that we can. Uh, but if we don't know where the problem lies, then that's just um, it's like we're working blindfold with them. And mm-hmm. in terms of validating whether or not you're a really good chef, I mean, whether or not the things that you put up are actually delicious or actually just trash. Um, right. I think what's important is to surround yourself with people who you know have a good palate because your palate on its own is not enough. You have to be surrounded with people who can taste um, as well, you know. So gotcha. that's why a kitchen, I mean, you can run a kitchen solo, but it's really, really difficult. And that's why most kitchens, you know, like we have a brigade basically. And so you surround yourselves with people who have really, really good palates as well. So maybe what tastes good to you might not taste good for five other people in your kitchen. And that's when you have to question yourself that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. So by surrounding yourself with equally talented people, and people who can taste as well as you that really really helps you and when a customer says that it doesn't taste good and if they say that you're a bad chef and stuff like that then you have all of these other people to validate whether or not you're actually competent or not you know gotcha ultimately obviously we have to take into consideration what the customer wants you know perhaps this customer um, like like he really just doesn't like this ingredient or something like that but honestly, as a chef, if you reach a certain level, you know when you messed up. You know when you serve something that's not satisfactory. And you know when there's something wrong. And when there's something wrong and a, and a customer points it out, well, the first thing that usually happens to me is regret because you know that something's wrong and you shouldn't have served that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dang it, you know, oh, I shouldn't have served that. I should, have just, you know, I should have just left it off the plate, you know. And then like when a customer points it out, it's kind of just like rubbing salt in your wound. Um, right, but, right. I feel you. You have to take all of these criticisms and you have to use it as, you know, like you can't just brush it off and say like, hey, your opinion doesn't matter. I'm a good chef. I know because that's just really arrogant and your business will never succeed if you do that. Yeah, that's really true. I mean, uh, there's so many ways to approach criticism. You can take it with a grain of salt or you can actually put it in as constructive criticism and say, hey, what can I do to improve uh, my cooking and everything? So, yeah, yeah, Revo, I think those are really good points. And right now we're over 30 minutes. So (laughs) it was such a great conversation where we're just winding down this episode. It has been really great talking to you, man. But I have one last question and then we're going to close with the challenge. So because our podcast is all about the young generation and how we want to basically impact uh, the youth and the leaders of tomorrow, um, what would be your advice to young people who are just starting out, who have dreams to start a restaurant, become a well-known chef, or even probably, yeah, they want to join Junior Master Chef or something like that? <laughs> uh, work hard. I think it's important uh, that you understand where you are right now, and you shouldn't sugarcoat anything uh, to yourself. Um, I think that you have to be quite critical with yourself. Uh, but don't, you know, don't beat yourself up too much. <laughs> uh, you have to understand um, that when you're trying to thrive in this, and like, not just in this industry, but, you know, all of these young people who are becoming future leaders, right? Like, we have to understand that sometimes we do fail. And mm-hmm. sometimes it gets really, really tiring. 
Um, but you know, like when you get tired and stuff like that, I think what's most important is that like we just reflect on ourselves and we start thinking to ourselves like what's important to us, what got us into this situation in the first place, what motivates us to do better in what we're doing right now. And once you start reflecting on all of that, I'm sure that you know, like your motivation will come back. I mean it. It happens to me sometimes, you know, like in the kitchen, it's just mentally and physically exhausting. But then like at home, you might feel like, oh, my God, this is so tiring. Like, why am I still even doing this? But then after that, you realize, you know, oh, man, I really do love food and I really do love working and getting better at what I do. And I still haven't reached my goal yet. And I think it's important that you set a goal for yourself so that you can keep running towards it. And if you can visualize your goal, if you can see yourself there, then there's nothing stopping you from, you know, running towards it and working hard towards it. At least for me, if I have a goal, I will definitely like try my best to reach it. Because if I won't, I'll be kind of disappointed in myself and it just won't be satisfying. Yeah, yeah. However, gotcha, I think gotcha. it's also important to be grateful with what you have right now and know that regardless of what happens, it happens for a certain reason. And God has already set our path in stone. Uh, right. I think, especially with whatever I'm doing right now, I always think that, okay, everything happens for a reason and I have to just think about this logically and know and, and trust in myself that I can do better the next time. Sweet, sweet. That is so great, bro. And totally respect to you. Um, from all the guests that I've interviewed, you're the one that has the motivation, that has the passion and that the determination. I think this is something that's underrated, but having like these values will really drive you through, especially during tough times, like what we're facing right now, crazy, unprecedented times. Just too much gold coming from what you're saying, but uh, we're about to close this episode. So one last challenge for you. Um, are you ready, bro? Yeah, sure. Hit me. <laughs> All right. So seeing your profile and everything, I've seen that you have actually been exposed to the culinary world from a very young age and also being in the spotlight several times, being a junior master chef, working with several brands, um, being featured in advertisements and billboards over the city. I've actually seen your Marie Rego oh, yeah. advertisement one time. Yeah, when I was like driving in the toll road. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, even with that, you're still about to start a new season, right? And there's still a long way, a long career, a bright career ahead of you. So what I want to challenge you to do is to do a dear future self speech. So imagine yourself in 10 years, 2030, at the level of accomplishment you want to be, and probably um, your goals have already been reached. I don't know what you visualize your well, goal hopefully. to be in 2030, <laughs> but yeah, what would you say to your 2030 self? Okay, so this is just going to be very, very rough, um, but dear future Revo, uh, regardless of how successful you are, please don't be arrogant. And if you're arrogant, listen to this message again. Um, know that no matter how successful you are, you can always be even more successful. Remember that you know whenever you're tired, whenever you feel like you're not enough, remember that you should always be grateful with what you have right there and then. You should be grateful, uh, but you shouldn't be complacent as well. You have to always keep running. You always have to keep you know, thriving in whatever you're doing. And I hope that in 2030, when you're hearing this message again, I hope that you've already achieved all of your goals. But even if you haven't, keep striving for it because um, it's not your timing, but it's God's timing. Yeah, I think that's it. Ooh, that's it, man. It, it really... Um, it really hits, man. It's, it's so inspirational. And you should listen to this 
uh, in the next 10 years when you've probably had two, three Michelin star restaurants. Yeah, man. And <laughs> probably on top of the world. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. 10 years. 10 years. Dude, I mean, 10 years is a very long time if you think of it. It's like, it seems short, but at the same time, it's like probably... It's more than half my life. Exactly, right? It's crazy to think about it. Like, also for my life, like 10 years, I'll, I'd be like 27, probably married. I'm not sure yet, but... I got marriage. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, it was so great talking to you, Revo. Um, obviously, my audience and myself, I learned a lot of amazing values, a lot of things about the culinary industry. And definitely there's so much that I can take home Yeah, from the stories that you've um, brought out. Determination, passion, motivation, they all just keep coming at me. Just really amazing values. So I'm so thankful for you. So humbled for you to be able to come on the show. Probably oh, you have anything to no, say. Man. Anyways, <laughs> like, thank you so much, Isaac, for, uh, you know, for allowing me to be on this podcast, for giving me this opportunity, you know, to just have a fun conversation with you. Uh, and just talk about you know what I've done so far. I think it's just um, awesome what you're doing with your podcast. You know, you're sort of highlighting um, people in our generation, and I think what you're doing here it's like it's giving a lot of motivation to people who are going to hear this. And so yeah, every like anyone who's hearing this uh, podcast right now, please check out all of Isaac's other podcasts because I know y'all be motivated from this type of things. And I think it's I, I think it's just great. And thank you so much for this opportunity, man. Sorry if I babbled a little over there. <laughs> no worries, bro. You're too nice, man. I mean, appreciate it. And thank you so much for the support uh, that you've given through my podcast. So thank you so much, Revo, for coming onto the show. And I really appreciate it all the way from New Zealand so great to have you on the show this is the footprints podcast signing out bye-bye everyone bye-bye